0: Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins.: Today is about love. hope, uh, joy, hope, peace, joy and love these four weeks that we've been, been studying. So today is the one-stop shop on everything you need to know about love. No one laughed. You really believe I'm going to do that? You'll be disappointed. Okay, let, let me just, I, I, I don't like to read to you, but let, let me give you some funny quotes. You can Google them and, and, uh, and find them. Uh, but here's some quotes about love that uh, come straight from culture and the world, all right? Love is like an hourglass with the heart filling up as the brain empties. That one, didn't, I guess, yeah, it's just, nothing's getting across. Is my mic on? Okay, all right, good. All you need is love. Here's one that's true in our home. All you need is love, but a little chocolate now and then doesn't hurt. <clears throat> Men can say amen, okay? Love is a fire, but whether it is going to warm your hearth or burn down your house, you can never tell. Okay, that resonated with somebody, okay? Men are from earth, women are from earth. Deal with it. <clears throat> you wouldn't get that joke if you didn't know the Venus and Mars thing. All right, gravity is not responsible for people falling in love. That's Albert Einstein, a physicist. We can take his word for that. Okay, from a physicist's standpoint, all you uh, a pair of <laughs> <clears throat> a pair of powerful spectacles have sometimes sufficed to cure a person in love. A youth with his first cigar, now this is funny because when Brenda's grandmother, her paternal grandmother, caught her brother and his friend experimenting with cigarettes when, I don't know, eight or nine years old, she got a cigar and made them smoke the whole thing, and it made them sick and throw up. So I, I, this is funny to me. A youth with, with his first cigar makes himself sick. A youth with his first girl makes everybody sick. Amen. Just sit in the airport, watch people walk by. You can pick them out, all right? Love is a lot like a backache. It doesn't show up on x-rays, but you know it's there. I love you no matter what you do, but do you have to do so much of it? (laughs) That's a quote from my wife. Um, I love being married. It's so great to find one special person you want to annoy for the rest of your life. Okay, there's the world's wisdom on love. You got it, all right? All you need is love, so if you got, you got your great takeaway from that. Um, time after time, we have mused in culture, and again, as we talk about love, you, you can't talk about it in one stop. What I want to do today is try to contrast the love of God against all the definitions that we may have. And I'm going to submit something I don't know that I've ever said out loud or I've ever said in public, but here's what I have said. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. But I think I'm going to change that. I think I'm going to say today something I can stand on. It doesn't sound right, but the opposite of love is fear. The opposite of love is fear, and I want to build a case for that. Now, as we come into the Christmas holidays, it's remarkable in reading the various versions of the Christmas story, you find angels and messengers of God showing up, and their first words are, Fear not, and they say you're going to have joy, you're going to have peace, and there's ultimately this great expression of God's love coming. Now, I want to jump right into Scripture this morning, and I don't know that I got all of the Scripture to Amanda because, uh, by the way, I am so thrilled that my wife is back with us in church today after uh, uh, sickness and injury. And by the way, yeah, she knows I love her now push her everywhere around. Let, let me tell you, the real ultimate test of love was came at a decision point last yesterday. We're going Christmas shopping. I brought the wheelchair and the crutches. I was hoping she would opt for the crutches, even though it was a little more work for her, because I followed her around shopping. And there is absolutely no method No linear connectedness to it, no logic in in any. I've tried to follow her. If I glance away, did the other day in Sam's, one minute, and she was in one of those little scooter wheelchairs, which doesn't go fast. I looked away one second. She disappeared, absolutely from the whole universe. Absolutely. She was nowhere in Sam's. I walked every aisle. Only if her called me on the phone, I said, where are you? right behind you. So last night, she opted for the wheelchair. I cringed. Then I took her. And her leg sticks out straight in the front on this little brace, so it's there as sort of an antenna waiting to be hit. So I was worried about that, knowing that if some other person inadvertently ran into it, I would get the blame. Behold what manner of great love God has bestowed. So we go into the store. The crisis of all crises. I have faced people when I was a cop. I have been in gunfights, knife fights. I have been jumped by multiple people and survived that. But there is no greater fear I discovered yesterday that strikes my heart than the thought of having to navigate her through the shopping experience. But I succeeded. That's not nearly the applause I deserve. Not nearly. You should have stood up and cheered and... <clears throat> okay, enough about that. That, that. Thank you. That was sarcastic. It's not accepted. All right? Yeah. As I was saying, the opposite of love is fear, and I was stricken deeply with it yesterday. <clears throat> no. Okay, I, I want to jump right in t- to this, because if I were to invent Tom's scripture narrative or thread of the Christmas thing, angels would show up and say, don't fear. And then they would leap straight to John 3.16. For God has so loved the world that he has sent and given his only begotten son a baby born in a manger that he would grow that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I would leap straight to that. Now, I'm going to build a case for the opposite of love being fear and why right now today the consideration of God's love is so insignificant because let, let me just cut to Chase and go back to the very beginning, something we study here a lot because it's the center of our faith and hope, that the very disruption of man's relationship with God happens in the Garden of Eden when they walk with God and the Holy Spirit meets with them and the Father daily and, and encounters them. And then suddenly, one day, they listen to a different voice that whispers fear to them. That God's intentions toward them are not what God said. Beloved, that is in the heart of every person. That stamp now is a fallen or cursed DNA. I want, I've Many times I've said that, I really need to drive that home. <clears throat> you didn't choose it. By reason of what Romans 5 tells us, every human being is born into the world with the reality of this sin virus, that which separates us from God. And nothing, nothing more greatly recurs than the fear that if there is a God, his intentions toward me certainly are questionable and not what I thought or hoped they would be. It always comes back to that. At the end of the day, push any domino you want in life, it's going to end up right there. When you begin to consider, is there somebody or something else out there? This love of God, what does it mean? Now, what I want to point out, we're going to use the gospel of John, the writings of John. Listen, in case you didn't know this. And by the way, I got to push the pause button because two things just jumped into my brain. We're going through the first 21 days for 21 days of morning devotion and prayer. Instead of doing it here, because anywhere from three to five of those mornings have been historically interrupted for, for ten years due to either ice on the road or snow or something like that. So we're going to do it on Facebook. And you say, well, I'm not on Facebook. That's right. It's easy to get on Facebook. Well, I don't want to be on Facebook because I, you don't have to be a friend with anybody. You can be on Facebook and be just the same way you live with Jesus Christ, a private relationship you never tell anyone about. The, um, <laughs> did I just say that out loud? No. <clears throat> See, those are the things back here that I, my wife was monitoring that. Boy, she'd say, "Nope, no, nope, no, nope, no, nope, don't say that, but it's not happening. Okay, so here's the deal. Every morning at 6 o'clock for the first 21 days, there are 21 chapters in John, and listen. We're going to go through the 21 chapters, and I'm going to grab just some verse, and because the first chapter opens up with describing this child born among us as being full of grace and truth, we know around here grace is the pushback. Every morning I'm going to say something about that, and truth, grace and truth travel together. Truth means to unhide, and it's not just me unhiding myself before God. Listen. It is God unhiding the potential that he has for us. God is playing the game of hide and seek, and he's desperately screaming, Ollie Ollie, in, come free, come out, come out, wherever you are. And every morning we're going to look at where grace and truth is declared in the Gospel of John. All 21 chapters for 21 days. We're going to just grab a verse and look at that, and I believe it can very well alter the way we walk into the year of 2019. That's announcement number one. Announcement number two is I think I've landed on a title for, uh, for the series, and for, for the new year, and that is uh, Defining Your Destiny in 2019. Now, let me tell you why that's a leap for me, because I don't use the word destiny. The word destiny in the sense that it's used in culture and the way I just use it, destiny as a word, is not in the Bible. Destiny is a byproduct of the, the sort of, sort of uh, uh, pagan worship con- uh, concept of fatalism, fate, Fate and destiny travel together, but the way the word is often used in culture doesn't give any recognition to that. So I'm going I'm to pluck that and use it as a as a tool. But defining your destiny, and let me say another thing to you: the last Sunday of the new year, next Sunday, you need to come. You need to come and bring somebody with you, because we're going to we're going to start on the last day of the new year, and there's a reason we have to, and that is because. God began, we're going to start at Exodus 12 and talk about the Lamb of God. God begins to speak, listen to me, destiny to every person while they are still in the place of bondage. He doesn't wait for you to be free from whatever it is that's holding you back before he starts speaking destiny and purpose and where he wants to take you. Isn't that good news? He doesn't wait for you to be free from whatever you think may be holding you back to start telling you now how to get out, how he's going to bring you out, and where he's going to take you. That's number two. Number three is tomorrow night at 5 o'clock, Christmas Eve. I encourage you. I'm going to put a guilt trip on you right now. I encourage you to squeeze God into the middle of your, of your uh, Christmas and Christ birth celebration. I'm going to encourage you to do that. Tomorrow night is a 59-minute service. Every year we do it. It lands right there. So you come and go. You bring your friends. They're going to receive the gospel in the warmest and perhaps more irrefutable and irrefusable packaging that it can be presented. What better gift could you give than to bring Jesus Christ, one who may say yes to them on Christmas Eve? I am praying for that and believing for that tomorrow night between 5 and 6 o'clock. Can you go ahead and just say amen right there? Come on. Okay, good. Now, we're free from commercials. That was much longer than I intended, but we're back here. I want to pick up the thread of John's writing. Listen, a little bit of Bible information for those of you that are new in faith. John John the Apostle wrote the Gospel of John, the fourth gospel. He also wrote the epistles of John, first, second, and third John. He's also the author of the book of Revelation, and there's some language that's unique to John that appears in all three of these books. It's very unique to John, and it begins to color his understanding of the love of God and what it's about. Now, so let's talk about this. Jesus would start by describing love and God's love and how we know God's love in ways that sort of made the Pharisees mad. Now, you can read also in the Gospel of John, we're not going to read the chapter and verse, but John chapter 12, I think around verse 40 or 41, where it talked about the Pharisees and, the, if you would, the gospel or the God they preached, and people were scared, fearful of giving knowledge to Jesus because of the rejection by the Pharisees. Can, can Please listen to me, and this is a whole other teaching I just can't go into, but Pharisees and religion at its best work from a fear basis. They instill fear as a motivation, but John just blows that right out of the water, and we're going to read that verse in just a moment. But listen to one, just one of the several reasons why the Pharisees were constantly so irritated with Jesus Christ, because they all competed with each other. To show one another how much they loved God. And they loved God more than the rest. And I love God more than you. And I'm more holy and more this. Listen to John chapter 5 verses 19 and 20. Jesus therefore answered them and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, The Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Now verse 20. 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show greater works than these so that you will marvel. That made them mad. I've mentioned this before. It was really a a personal discovery and witness to me about five years ago. To discover that the quality of my life of faith, and please hear this, I could say this 20 times during this teaching and it would not be said enough, is not defined by the quality of my love expressed to God, but by the constancy of his love toward me. And until I get that, I will never live a life of faith effectively. You say, well, great, that just licenses us to do anything. No, but that in and of itself is a whole other teaching. Because as the love of God begins to fill our heart, fear is banished. We sin because of fear. It started in the Garden of Eden. We find other places and other things and other places to find fulfillment because we're fearful that the God option's not enough. So we go looking someplace else. But the love of God banishes that. Praise God. First John chapter four, verse 15. Now I'm going to stick some things in here. Whoever, and a matter of fact, I'm going to, when I point to you, I want you to say the words, like Jesus, as in just like Jesus. Okay. We're going to practice right now. Ready? Like now that wasn't loud enough at all. I'm, I'm up here really excited and talking loud. So you can you either pretend that or I'll talk a long time and make you not happy just by the length. Okay. Don't anybody comment. Okay. Here we go. One, two, three. Like That's what I'm talking about. Here we go. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him. See, like Jesus said, just like he did, he said, he abides in me and uh, God abides in him and he, in God, we have come to know and have believed which uh, the love, which God has for us and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Isn't that the coolest thing in the world? John talks a lot about this. Here we go. By, by, by. You're done now. By this love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. The verse that follows, John three sixteen, the gospel says, "You know, for God so loved the world. For God did not come into the world; he didn't send his Son." that the world be judged but the world be redeemed. Mm-mm-mm. Here we go, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And can I say that that statement is just as true reversed? That let fear perfected casts out love. It breaks my heart to see someone pursuing a relationship with God on a fear basis. Just recently I heard someone utter the words, well, I've done everything I can. I don't know what else God can do to me. Mm. God doesn't wake up every day looking to do something to anybody. That is not the God we know. Just hang with me, okay? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment or the, the concept of judgment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love we love, here it comes, we love because he first loved us. Now remember what Jesus said in John chapter 5, I do what I do because God loves me. God loves the son. That's a, by the way, that's just an incomprehensible thought. You know, Jesus is the son of God, the, the begotten of the father. So how does all that work? No one knows. You can hear the deepest and most wonderful teachings on, on the Trinity, on kenosis, the emptying of God. And it's just still out there. I don't care what you say. You can't nail it down. No illustration or analogy really works. It is just out there. But he brings it down to terms of love. Hopefully something that we can get. Verse 20 says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Well, I'm going to reread read, read verse 22. Here it goes. Everybody listen. So if, remember verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but doesn't come to the Christmas Eve service and bring somebody that's not... I'm sorry, that doesn't say that, okay? It is fear that causes the love of God to be disrupted. The opposite of fear of love is not hate. We can only hate because we're fearful. The opposite of love is not just apathy. Apathy only happens because we're afraid to trust again. It's the whisper of the serpent amongst all of us and in all of us. Can I keep going with the writings of John and the book of Revelation? And it's here that I want to suspect something. He's writing to the Ephesian church. That's the church that Timothy, young Timothy, would pastor. So watch this. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. This is in the book of Revelation. There are seven letters written to the church. There are letters in red if you have a Bible, which means Jesus is speaking. John's the author, but it's the only time outside of the Gospels that you see letters in red. John has an encounter with Jesus Christ whether it's in vision or transported, but it's just face-to-face regards. And God, Jesus, is speaking, and he's writing the words to seven churches. Notice what he writes. He says, I know your deeds and your toil, your perseverance. You cannot tolerate evil men. Now, how many get that so far? Perseverance, you don't tolerate evil. Let's keep going. You put to the test those who call themselves apostles. You don't just, third thing, you don't just trust anything in the world. Uh, You put it to the test. You know the word, okay? Uh, uh, let me see. He says, you have perseverance and you've endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. How many know if you're getting a report card for doing well in church, that's a pretty good five point checklist. How many besides me would be happy to have Jesus show up and say, listen, you persevere under that hoopomone. That you push up under the circumstances by trusting me. You don't tolerate evil. You're, you pursue righteousness. You, you, don't allow, you don't stand and watch evil to happen. You intervene. You test the words of those who teach and know the word of God. You endure. You don't grow weary in well-doing. And you've hated the oppressors of the people. It goes on to, ta- to, to say about the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And the word means oppressor of the people. How many know that that is a great social justice report card for any church to have? I want to say it again. We really need to get this. Here's their checklist. You've persevered. You don't tolerate evil. You test the words uh, that are are being preached or said. You've endured under it. You don't grow weary in well-doing. And you watch the horizon. And where people are being oppressed, you jump in and do something about it. And then the next words happen. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, now, here's my suspicion. And I said this years ago, and I want to say it again this morning, because in deciding what tack and direction to take about on talking about love, as I said, you can spend every week the rest of your life teaching and talking about it from the Word of God for reasons I'm about to tell you. and And you'd be well served in doing that. But I'm suspicious that Maybe we can invent a good East Tennessee adaptation of these two words. We can take first, cut off the T, put a hyphen in the middle, and add love. So we say like this, first love. One word, first love. Everybody try it. One, two, three. First love. First love. First love. See, first love is the love of God. How do I know that? Because John, the same guy that wrote it here, wrote it back in, in the epistles. He says, you've forgotten He said, you need to know that you can only love because God loved you first. Is it possible for a church to get involved in the deeds of the faith and miss the point? Ooh. Is it impossible for us as believers to be so fixed in the actions of the faith that we forget the point that God steps up and says, you know, you've done this, 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 and this and that. It's just so good. You've got all this social justice stuff going on. You're just really great. You would really fit as a church in the United States of America in the 21st century. You just step in. Anybody that's oppressed, you get on Facebook and Instagram and write about it. I mean, you're jumping in there. But, you know... Really, that is not what's going to communicate to culture as much as if there's a group of people who understand and become overwhelmed with the fact that God loves me. That he was born into this world and from the cradle to the cross, the two greatest statements of the love of God. And by the way, we don't understand God emptying of himself. And because we don't, we, and because we do understand to some degree death and torture and pain, we look at the cross and wince. And so, oh my, behold, what greater expression of love is there than that until we leave this world and we stand in the presence of God. And in that moment, the Bible says that we'll be just penetrated through with the deeming glory of God. And we will instantly have this massive download of God data. And we'll just know as we are known, the Bible said. I think it won't be until then that we have a flash of the moment where we understand that the greatest sacrifice and greatest expression of love was a God who emptied himself of equality with God, took on flesh. We think the cross is it until we're there. I don't get it. I don't get it. But we will then. I believe that will be the case. Okay, so I'm messing with your head. Okay. Now, so what's up? When we face oppression and adversity... Okay, let me cut the chase here. i got to read this to you. In the very next chapter of the book of Revelation, verse 7, I'm not going to build the case. It's a different church, but I want you to see the closing words and how our victory will come. This church is being attacked by Jewish believers who are trying to tell this young church that they can't know God in this new way, believing in this newfangled God named Jesus. Go study it and you'll see. But he says to the angel or the pastor of the church in Philadelphia, write these words, He who is holy, I love this, who is true, who has the key of David, Who opens and no one will shut. Who shuts and no one will open. My two favorite words in this passage to start with are at the end of verse 7. And it's this. After describing himself, says this. And as many times as I read this, I need to stop here and tell you, please listen to me. This, verse 7, is Jesus speaking. Please listen. We're almost done here. But if you got it, there's two things you need to get. Here's the first one. When God shows up and speaks to this particular church, everything after verse 7 has already been taking place. In other words, this is what they say, anachronistic. It's out of time because he's showing up and he's saying, watch, he who is holy, this is important, who is true, who has the key of David, and those three things do mean something. I'll see if I can find the link and put it online for when I taught on this last who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens, says this. Because what you're going to learn is down through this passage, these people are being told, you think there's a door you can go through, but you can't go through that door of faith. And God says, I'm the one who opens and shuts, and if I open, no one can shut it, and I shut it, no one can open. That's important. He says, I know your deeds before I put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name behold I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan that's a tongue in cheek phrase of, of saying these Judaizers from the synagogue who say that they are Jews they're not but lie I will make them come and bow down at your feet and let them know that you love me more than they love me look on the screen does it say that it does not this is unique to John. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Beloved, there is no greater moment in our life than when God reaches out and sprinkles and touches us here or here and in the midst of something that's trying to crush us or a door shut in front of us and every voice saying that door that you think you're going to go through you can't go through you're not going to go through that you haven't done this or you're not that or you're not this or you're not the other thing or you failed here or failed there God says I want to let you know that if I open a door I'm opening on the basis of my love toward you and I'm placing an opportunity before you. And if I hold it open, no one can shut it. I have control of that. And then he says, remember what I I tried to emphasize. He shows up in verse 7 and says, I essentially, I know what's being said. But this word legos is powerful here. Says this. He says, I know what's being said. I know the voices in your head. I know the oppression that stands against you. I know the witnesses and the things that are being said about you. I know everything being said. I know those words. And they say this and they say that. And they say one thing and they say another. But I want you to know. And it's as if the Savior himself, rises up and said, but I have something to say about that. And here's what he says. I'm going to remind you, them, and everybody else that that door will be open on the basis of my love for you, not your love towards me. And it's going to stay open until you want to go through that door. And that's the good news of the gospel. Paul joins in with John in writing to Timothy when he says, for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit. And in your Bibles, that should be a capital S. And on Wednesday night, I took time to teach why uh, Numa there is, is a capital S. And what he's saying is this way. I have not given you. God has not given us a Holy Spirit of fear. God's given us a Holy Spirit of power. God's given us a Holy Spirit of love. God's given us a Holy Spirit of a sound mind. So beware what voices you listen to. This God who loved first, gave first, came first, reached to this planet. When we were afraid and hiding, God says, I'm going to send my son full of grace and unhiddenness. And he will walk around and unhide once again the possibilities that God has made toward you and give you the opportunity to come out of hiding so that you may embrace what he's calling out of darkness to be yours, into light. See, that is the love of God shed abroad in our heart. Now listen to these closing words. God's action, please hear me, please hear these. God's actions in creation can only be understood. God, a creating God can only be understood through the lens of love. Fundamentally speaking, a God who is holy. By the way, the Old Testament uses primarily the term God the holy or holy God. I don't, um, I put it in. I don't put a noun at the end, see with God the Holy One, but I hope to catch your attention. God the Holy, the essence of Holy. But as he enters the New Testament, notice what what John says and was stated, for God is love. There are two primary descriptors for God, God who is holy and a God of love. A God who is holy is whole and complete and lacks nothing, needs nothing. Now with that in mind, fundamentally speaking, a God... As God who is holy, uh, excuse me, God who is holy does not have a self-serving motive. See, for human love, like it or not, in the beginning, the love we extend, when I say in the beginning, because we've been married for nearly 40 years, and I believe that I can tell you the love of God because he first loved her and he first loved me and we have determined to find His love toward each other, it was definitely self-serving for me. I can tell you what she was wearing the first time I saw her, and I said, wow, man. And then I decided that she was in such desperate need for fulfillment. (laughs) And to live a life of substance, purpose, great meaning, to be all that she could be. I decided to become the divine component to make Brenda great again. And I gave her my love. Are you not thankful for that? You are. (laughs) That did not happen. But I can tell you, over two and a half years of courtship and 40 years of marriage... that I learned, we have learned, to extend to one another a love that becomes increasingly not about what we get for ourselves. It doesn't start there. I don't care what anybody says. It doesn't start there in marriage, but it grows there. That is a love, it's the love of the Father. Okay, so back to God here. Fundamentally speaking, God who is holy does not have a self serving motive, and that's our problem with God that creates fear. That whole thought violates, please hear me, especially teachers of the Word. That whole thought violates the logic of what holy is. Thus, James writes God, this holy God, cannot be tempted. He doesn't need. So this love is so very different. Last thing that I wrote, I wanted to read to you. Humans love for a reason. God loves because of who he is. Now, Holy Spirit, before I read these other words, you know are here. I ask for that to sink in at Christmas time on this Sunday we celebrate love. I ask for that statement to begin to banish fear and concerns, disillusionment about the year lived, and maybe concern and disruption about the year ahead. Please let these words penetrate our hearts. Humans love for a reason. God loves because of who he is. John said, God is love. <laughs> Humans love for a reason. God loves because of who he is. He can't do anything other than that. Let me finish this. And Scripture tells us, Paul would write to Timothy, God cannot deny himself. God cannot not love you or he would not be God. I want to ask you to listen. I want to ask those who are online listening. Humans love for a reason God loves because of who he is. Would you repeat that to me right now? Humans love for a reason God loves because of who he is. Would you say it again, please? Humans love for a reason God loves because of who he is. God is love. Would you right now agree with me? that you will carry this consciousness and somewhere in this Christmas week, you would ask the Holy Spirit to do one of those. And at that moment, hey, it's now. You're going to turn to someone and say, you need to know that humans love for a reason. But God loves you because of who he is. God is love. He can't do anything other than that or he would stop being God. I love that Paul writes to Timothy. God can't, do, can't deny himself. God can't deny himself. There is not a chance that God will ever not love you. And it starts with him, not because of the quality of who you are. Not because of anything you've done. There's zero chance that God, I've just got to keep saying this because you don't know the thousands of times, well, I just can't believe God loves me. I'm sorry to deflate the whole love things. Like I I can remember the first time she said to me, I love you. I've been waiting to hear it. And I can remember that it's like, Yes! That was just amazing. Remember where we were sitting. I remember thinking. I wonder if she's ever going to say that. And she did. There's no greater moment. But she made those decisions through a process. Because she determined that I was a person that could be trusted with that love. That's where we're different from God and we can't ever get there. She had reasons. I had reasons for trusting her with my love and, and she trusting me with her love. But that is, that's, where she, that's where this breaks down. That's not God. And I just want to say this to you a thousand times over. Humans love for a reason. God loves because of who he is. And you need to hear today. For those of you, anyone sitting here or listening out there that has ever thought, I just don't know that God loves me. Please trust me. I I, I don't want to hurt you or deflate you. But God loving you is not because you're all that or not all that. (laughs) I mean, that's why I finally said she was all that. And at point, apparently she made up my mind that I was at least partially that. And so she said that to me. But that's not why God loves. He doesn't decide, Hans, that you're all that, and now I'm going to love you. God just shows up, the shining light that shined in darkness. It comes to the darkness. It lights everything up, and it just comes in, no matter what you do, because God is love. God love first. God shows up and says, "I love you, Hans." But I don't love you. Love you because of anything you've done. I love you because I am a holy, and holy has to love, and I am love, and I can't be anything other than me. I can't. Can't be anything other than love and there is no way forgive me for saying this but you'll resonate there is no way in hell or no effort of hell that's ever gonna make me not love you ever no no that praise is worth way more than that that needs to be oh my goodness I am already scheduled on the timeline of life to do something majorly stupid before 2.03 p.m. today. And to think that at 2.04 p.m. today, God is still going to love me the same way He did at 2.02 p.m. is absolutely astounding. Because God is love. He can't not love me. No. Let's stand up. I'll just quit talking. Hallelujah. <laughs> and thus it makes the chorus of this song sort of stupid and futile. Give me the key so I'm in the write key. Your love never fails, never gives up. How many know this song suddenly becomes sort of? Well, of course it doesn't fail doesn't ever give up. For God's love to fail, he'd have to cease to exist. For God's love to give up, God would have to die. God, I pray in this Christmas season, the love of God is greater far than my tongue or pen. Can never tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Father, I pray today. I pray today for some. Lord, most of us, I I think we get them. At least we want to. But your love would always reach to the one on the fringe of the crowd who would be absolutely caught off guard and amazed by the fact that the love of God, the presence of God, the Son of God, had stopped for them. For the one out there today that's saying, all this has happened to me. Life has beset me because God doesn't love me. There may be reasons for why things have happened, but that is not it. Open your eyes while I'm praying this prayer. There may be reason for the things that happen, but God not loving you will never be that reason. Will never be that reason. Will never be that reason. reason. Now bow your heads again. I'm the only one looking around. Nobody. I normally have help. If you're here today... And you have struggled with some, that I, what I've talked about, that, that God could love you and would love you. I don't suppose there's a bunch of people. There may be only one or two. I don't know. But if you're here today and at any time, coming here today even, you've just struggled with that reality or that concept comes back to you, that fear comes back, would you lift your hand in your head and just let me make eye contact with you, please? Look at me if you've got your hand up. Look at me. God can't not love you. He can't not love you. God can't it, it not love you. He can't. This was for you today. This was for you today. There's no way God can't love you. It violates who He is. He'd have to cease to be. I want to make sure I don't miss anybody. There is no way... God cannot love you. Please receive that. Please receive that. There's no way. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.